0: Welcome to Alger Assembly of God and welcome to Mother's Day. I came across a story about a young preacher who was studying for the ministry, preparing to preach his very first sermon. That's many years ago for myself, but I can, I can remember thinking about that very first sermon. And knowing it was his first, this young man desired to hit a home run and he wanted to have a smashing introduction. To set it off. So he went to an older minister who had pastored and preached for many years and asked if he had a great introduction, something that would capture everybody's attention. This senior minister did. He said, Son, I've got an illustration that works every single time. He says, I've used it multiple times over the years and in many different places where I have preached, and it is guaranteed to work. He said, this is what you do. When you get into the pulpit, make this statement. Some of the greatest days of my life, I spent in the arms of another man's wife. Then wait a moment and say, my mother. He went on to say, Don't forget to pause for a moment. But whatever you do, don't forget to say, My mother. Very important, he said. So finally, the Sunday came and this young man was excited. He was ready. He was going to preach and declare the Word of God. And he walked up into the pulpit, unfortunately, with two big problems. One... He was nervous and scared. It was his first time preaching publicly. And two, unfortunately, he had forgotten to tell his wife what he was about to say. So the young preacher gets up behind the pulpit, clears his throat, confident of this smashing introduction, and he says, Some of the greatest days of my life I spent in the arms of another man's wife. And he paused for a moment, as he should. But unfortunately, about that time, his wife, who was rather hot-tempered, got up out of her seat and began making her way to the pulpit. Alarmed by the fact that his wife was now walking towards him, he forgot the words he was not supposed to forget. So instead, he repeated the sentence again, hoping that this time he would repeat and remember the punchline. So he said, some of the greatest days of my life I have spent in the arms of another man's wife, he said it with passion. And he paused, looked around, his wife almost to the platform, panic-stricken, he said, and for the life of me, I can't remember who that woman was. (laughs) So I trust today, Mother's Day or any day, you will have no problem remembering and recognizing your mother. It was Mother's Day, and certainly there's many times uh, things that are done or gifts that are done. Uh, A lot of times flowers or jewelry or cards or handmade somethings will be prepared. But what is it that moms want? Well, over the last week or so, newspapers and websites and TV stations have interviewed moms to see what it is that they want for Mother's Day. One mom said this, I simply want my kitchen to stay clean for longer than an hour. Another mom said, I just want to sleep in until at least 7 a.m. Some of you might want to add a few more hours to that, perhaps. One mom said, I simply want a day without fighting between my kids. Or this mom said, I just want to go to the bathroom alone all day. She must have some little ones in the house. Uh, This final mom said, I want one of two things. I want either my kids to listen to me the first time I say something all day or a new car. Not sure whether we will get either of those that day. But what is it that moms want? What do godly moms want for Mother's Day? I'm going to invite you to turn with me the New Testament to 2 Timothy. We take a little bit of a look this morning at what godly moms want to do and what godly moms want for you. That's where we're headed. What do godly moms want to do, and what do godly moms want for you? 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, reads like this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son. So as he writes, this is a side note here, Paul, in the book of acts was Saul. He was one who was against God and breathing out murderous threats. He was someone who was wanting to take and put Christians into prison. And yet he had a just an incredible encounter with God himself. He was changed and transformed and Saul became Paul. He began teaching and preaching about Jesus Christ, about the good news of God. And so Paul now is writing to Timothy, a young man, a young uh, minister, if you would, in the faith. And so 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy, these are some of the what's called pastoral epistles. Paul writing to a younger generation to say, here's about ministry and here's about life and here are some great lessons for you. So Paul writing to Timothy, verse 2, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. As we continue this morning, we'll take a look at a handful of things that godly moms want to do and godly moms want for you. Number one, to love God. To love God. Check out the very next verse, verse 5. Paul writes I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. A godly mom desires to love God, but a godly mom desires that her family would love and serve God. Did you see what we have? Several generations represented here. We've got Grandmother Lois. We've got Mother Eunice. And now we've got the son who is Timothy. And you've got a grandmother who loved God. And you've got a mother who loved God. And Paul says, I know it's in you as well. There's this faith. There's this heart. There's this desire to love and to serve God as well. The home is a great place. In fact, the best place. For kids to learn and to grow and to know about Jesus Christ. To love God and to serve Him. But we've got to make sure we have got a relationship with God ourselves. We can't teach what we ourselves don't know. As a mom or as a dad, if if you're wanting to teach about sports, if you're wanting to teach about cooking, if you're wanting to teach about sewing, if you're wanting to teach about repairing a car, you've got to be able to do it first. Which is why I've not had any car mechanic classes with our daughters. Then <laughs> go see Papal for that. You've got to be able to know how to do something first before you can share it with others. And that's what we see in this text. Lois as the grandmother, Eunice as the mother had a heart for God. They loved God, but they desired that that would be passed on in their family. And they see that with Timothy. Help others to have a priority of loving and serving God as well that the faith that sincere faith that was in Timothy it wasn't just starting there it was in his mother it was in his grandmother know this what you put at the top of your priority list impacts others you can take a look at individuals family members friends classmates coworkers people in the neighborhood and you can see what's most important to them true It it doesn't take, you don't have to be a private investigator to figure out what's most important to individuals. Typically, you can see by how somebody invests their time and by how somebody invests their resources. And so for some, maybe it's about making money or about seeking fame or titles or promotions. For some, it's about accumulating stuff. For many, it's about loving God and having a relationship with Him. So not just for mothers, but for all of us to love and to serve God. Where we place our trust and faith and confidence, it's visible and it's obvious to others. Now, the the message translation is a little bit more of a kind of a modern paraphrase, but it takes verse 5 here when it says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, and it and it puts a little bit different twist on it. It says, I'm reminded of your rich faith handed down from grandmother to mother to you. I, I like that thought of being handed down. See concept, that relationship of loving God that I want to encourage us to pass on or to hand down. In our culture, we tend to pass things on or hand things down. Whether it would be a will, something that should something happen to us, here's what I want with our possessions, we hand things down. Or genetically, we have passed things on and handed things down could be hair color, type of hair, straight or curly or eye color or freckles or no freckles or height or, I mean, all kinds of things genetically we pass on, we hand down, right? Genetics, those things are hereditary. So, Eye color, hair color, all of those types of things can be, in a sense, somewhat automatic to be able to pass it on, or you've got a really good probability of passing it on or handing it down to that next generation. But when it comes to faith in God, when it comes to a relationship with God, when it comes to loving God, that's not an automatic thing. Eye color, hair color, I mean... Genetics would say, hey, here's the probability, here's the chance. But when it comes to serving God, there's got to be an investment of time, something that is done intentionally to say, I want to lead this next generation to know God, to love God, to serve God. Simply because you might follow God does not mean that your kids automatically will. They've got a choice to make. But a godly mom has a heart for and a desire that next generation to know and to love and to serve God. While we pass on and while we hand down a lot of things, sometimes older siblings hand things down, the the hand-me-downs of clothes or shoes or toys or things, while we hand down and pass down a lot of things, While we hand down and pass down a lot of hereditary and and some of those characteristics, let's make sure that our heart is and our desire is to pass on and to hand down a love for serving God. See, Christ must be at home in our heart before he is at home in our home. Allow him to take root in your heart and in your life and then make that a home of loving God. What would a godly mom desire to do and desire for you? It's to love God. But secondly, I believe the heart would be to learn his word. Moms learn a lot of things. Now, you know, depending on how old you are, sometimes, uh, you know, kids looking up at parents, you know, there's a certain age where mom and dad know everything. And then it kind of generates into the age where mom and dad know Nothing. And then as you get a little bit older, then all of a sudden, mom and dad are really pretty smart after all. See, moms know a lot of stuff. Moms know, they know the clothes that go to each person. They they know how to separate, even though they look exactly the same and identical. This one's hers and this one's his. This one's hers and this one's hers. They know where it was and who bought it and how much and where. They know who has what and when and where. Maybe it's using a phone and a calendar, or maybe it's a paper calendar that's magnetized up on a refrigerator, but moms know what's going on. They learn everything about scheduling, and moms know. Moms know by looking at you whether something's wrong. Moms know whether you're telling the truth or not. Mom knows when something's not quite right at school, at home, just with the look on the face. Moms learn a lot of things. But a godly mom, more than learning about her kids, a godly mom desires to learn the word of God and would desire that others in her family learn the word of God. See, Timothy had learned to study and had a heart for the word of God. In fact, a little bit later in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul writes this way, As he's writing to Timothy, he says in chapter 3, verse 14, As for you, he says to Timothy, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of. Timothy, you've learned a lot of things. Continue in that because you know those from whom you learned it. Verse 15, and how from infancy you have known what? The Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. He says, Timothy, don't forget those things. You've learned it. You've grown up in a house that this was important to learn God's word, and from infancy you've known it. And he says in verse 16, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. See, don't just have a relationship with God. Love and learn the Word of God. That first thought, that first step of loving God's important, but don't stop there. Don't just say, I've got a heart for God or a love for God and stop. Develop a heart to learn the Word of God. Lois and Eunice apparently had done that. They made their home a place to learn about God and his word. Paul identified it. He said, you've learned this, and from infancy, you've learned it. Nothing else will have a greater impact on the individuals in our home than the word of God. I read this riddle recently. It goes like this. How do you teach a parrot to talk? I don't know, you say. The answer? Have a larger vocabulary than the bird. You got to know more than the bird you're trying to train. We need to know more about the word of God than the individuals we're wanting to point to and turn to God. We've got to learn the word of God ourselves if we are going to teach and to share it. Read it, learn it, study it, incorporate it into your life and pass it on. In fact, start young. Start from a young age. Again, in verse 15, it says it's from infancy, Paul writes, you've known the Scriptures. This was, this was not waiting until he had graduated and was out of the house before pointing to the Word of God. He says from infancy you've known it. Proverbs 22.6 would say to train up a child in the way he should go. We can start young by investing in the Word of God. Studies would say that half of everything a child needs to know by the age of 18 is learned in their first two years. That's exciting and a little scary. That they learn so much within these first couple years, which is why it's so important to point to and to guide into the Word of God. Start early. Because there's more opportunities for a child to have that heart for God, to turn to God, to love God, and serve God for salvation. Don't wait until they can read for themselves. Don't wait until you know it's years and years down the road. Start young. Never too young to start. But on the flip side, never too late if you haven't already. Start young, and you can partner with Others partner with the church here at Alger Assembly of God. Our heart is to partner with you. But keep in mind, think about the amount of time that we as a church have to invest in children. Our discipleship hour is not technically, quote, a full 60 minutes, but it's a discipleship hour, right? And opportunities many times during a Sunday morning service for kids, you're talking maybe an hour or two on a Sunday. And you've got an opportunity of hours upon hours upon hours every single day. So partner with us as we desire to partner with you to help in teaching and sharing and learning the word of God. More than anything else, more than any other book, And as they get into school and begin to read some simple books in, in elementary and middle school and high school, more than any other book or magazine, or website, or app, let's point to and have a heart to learn the Word of God. So godly moms, what do they desire to do and desire for you and I? It's to love God. It's to learn His Word. And third and finally, it's to live it out. Back to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, as we look back to that, Paul talks about the sincere faith, and Paul says, it lived in your grandmother and in your mother, and it now lives in you. It's this living and active faith. We've got to live it out. A sincere faith is both taught and caught. We can teach, right? We can open up the word of God and teach with our mouth. Hey, here's what God's word says. We can teach the truths of God and his word. But it's also caught. When people see how we act, how we speak, how we live, we are teaching. And that many times is caught even within, without an official teaching opportunity. So Paul says there's this sincere faith. It's a real faith. It's not a pretend faith. It's a what-you-see-is-what-you-get faith. What you claim that you believe and what you show the world are the same. It's not just saying one thing and doing another, but they line up their sincere, their accurate faith. No one knows better than a child, what's real and what's not. You can often try to fake someone out. But in the home, a child is going to know, is that real, is that sincere faith? Common phrases you and I have heard, actions speak louder than words. Words. Words are good, teaching and proclaiming are good, but what about the actions that follow? How are we living out this Word of God? It starts with loving God, having that relationship with Him. We say, that's not enough, let's continue to learn the Word of God. We say, but that's not enough, just to love Him and have a kind of a mind or a a brain filled with things about God. Let's live it out. The other quote you might have heard uttered quite a while ago says, to preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. In other words, the the actions, the, the, the ways that we carry our lives will preach and proclaim the word of God. Now, there were four Bible scholars arguing over Bible translations. There's a, there's a variety of them, a wide variety of uh, discussion and translations. And so one of these Bible scholars said that he preferred the King James Version. He, he liked the beauty. He liked the, uh, the feel of the Old English. Another Bible scholar said he liked the New American Standard because of the literalism and because of the accuracy in his mind. A third scholar was sold on the New Living Translation because of the use of, uh, use of contemporary phrases that helped to capture the meaning of many of these difficult ideas. They turned to the fourth one, and after being quiet for a moment, this fourth scholar admitted, I personally prefer my mother's translation. Uh, The other scholars kind of looked at him and chuckled and began laughing, and he said, yes, in fact, she translated the scriptures. My mom translated each page of the Bible into life. It is the most convincing translation I have ever read. What was he saying? He was saying, my mom lived it out. It wasn't just appear. It wasn't just that there was a relationship at one point in time. It wasn't just that she knew a lot of things about God's word. He said she lived it out. How she lived lined up with the scripture." You and I are to consistently live it out. Children will forget many of the things we say. Amen? But they won't forget how we live. No doubt there are things that you have done with a child or with a grandchild that will live in their memories forever. Things that have been said funny statements that pop out, and you will remember that forever. How are you and I living our life consistently to honor and serve and please God? We can't pass on something that we don't ourselves possess. If it's not a priority to us, it's not going to be a priority to those that are around us. I like this quote. Someone said that faith is like calories. You can't see them, but you can see the result. I like that. What about our faith? Are we living it out? If so, we'll see the results. We'll see the impact in the life of those that are around us. Consistently live for God. What does a godly mom want to do? What does a godly mom want for you? Is to love God, is to learn his word and live it out.